which I was going to preach, and we're going to probably go more into communion uh, than that this morning, but it is so good to be here and see what's happening with our children, to see that ministry growing and strengthened and solidified and the people that are working there. Uh, I really appreciate each and every one of them and and the kids that came up and shared with you this morning. I, I think it's important that we know what's taking place in the other buildings and, uh, you know, I just I just started right out. I was looking at train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And Chuck Swindoll dealt with that with the idea, according to his bent, his natural abilities, his areas that are important, but it also involves our training them uh, in their spiritual walk. Uh, if, if they don't get it when they're young, oftentimes they don't get it. And so it's important that we do that, and that's why we have... Uh, the ministry of Rooted, and that's why we have the ministry for our middle school and high schoolers of One Way, and, and Corwin leads that. You met him this morning. He was back there giving us our uh, sorrows and, and all of those things. So uh, we appreciate them. And also on Tuesday evenings, every other Tuesday, we have a trail life ministry here. And uh, if you have boys that are in that age group of uh, preschool up through uh, middle school at least, uh, it is a great ministry. It's a Christian camping type ministry. And if you would like to be part of that, we encourage you to uh, get in touch with the, the church or I'll get you in touch with our Trail Life leadership. Uh, Caleb can give you all the information you want to know. He's involved in that. And uh, that's that's a boys ministry here at the church. And I think guys need those uh, men who are examples for them. And so when I look at, at the idea of, of a ministry for children, uh, I, I just laid out all of these passages that talked about the fact that we are to raise them and train them and instruct them, and uh, it's to be by not only the, the spoken word, but by our examples, <laughs> whether you're laying down or walking by the way or whatever you're doing, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you are to be instructing your kids, and that's by your lifestyle, and it's also uh, by the spoken word, it's, it's laying out not only the negatives, but also the positives. Uh, when you see them, how do you teach your children on a day-to-day basis? Uh, your examples are the most important. But not only are parents to teach their children. Uh, we we kind of think about that. But it is also that uh, I believe the Christian community is to be in partnership with parents. As I look back through the Old Testament, and I, I, I thought specifically of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was... Uh, a man that God used, the children of Israel had been in Babylon, and boy, the, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down, the city was in disarray, things weren't going well. And so he was sent back to rebuild that city, and they did it in record time, in spite of all kinds of opposition. And then in chapter 8, they hadn't read the Bible for a long time. It was not even in a language they really understood very well, and so... Uh, Ezra came out and he stood up on a podium. It's the first time they talk about a platform in the Bible for someone speaking up and uh, standing and speaking from a platform. And he read from the, the scriptures and there were others there that read from the scriptures. But I think this is important. It says that there were the men and the women and all who could understand. The children were there. They were taking part. As you go back, Jesus, when the feast days would come, his parents would take him to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul, when he was raised, probably learned the scripture starting at about five years of age, and then it got deeper when he was about ten. And I don't know exactly when he went to Jerusalem, but he left his home in Tarsus and went to Jerusalem where he studied under a man by the name of Gamaliel, the premier 
uh, Pharisee teacher of that day. And so they made sure their kids had a good education. And it wasn't just the parents. It was the Christian community that uh, did a lot of that. And so we as a church need to understand our responsibility in terms of helping to teach our kids and train them. And uh, I hope you've seen the uh, the fruit of that today as you've listened to our kids and you've seen them here. And uh, as, as was mentioned, uh, Karen mentioned that the church is growing and they're getting more kids out there. And I am so thankful for that, uh, that we are seeing that happen. So that is special. Well, I want to, uh, to go on with uh, our communion service this morning. And because of the kids and because they're here, I want to explain a little more than I normally do. I think it's important oftentimes we just talk about the bread and the wine and what it is. But I want to go a little more in depth as we talk about it, and then we'll have our uh, men come up and take their place at the communion service uh, to serve. But if you do have your Bibles or you have your smartphones, smartphones have the Bible on them now, did you know that? Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We want to look at 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 27, and I'm going to bring one thing um, to mind as I speak. And in a little bit, I want to speak to the kids because a lot of them haven't been in for communion before. Or they're not sure what communion is about. And uh, so I, I want to make sure that we understand that. Now, I, I've got to explain one thing. If, if you ever come up and speak, and you, you have to have this, and people go, I don't want to, oh, I don't want that. You know, this kind of thing. Well, let me just say that we oftentimes have people back in that room, and they can't hear you without the mic. So just if you're ever up here, they have to have the mic so they can hear you back there because they want to be part of it. It's not because I want to bother you with this thing. Okay? You all understand? It isn't just you, Robin. Robin, it wasn't just you. And, and I'll tell you, if you hold it down here, they won't get it either. You've got to get it up here and eat on that thing. You know, you watch these musicians, these singers, and they're singing into the mic, and you go, oh, get away from that thing. I can't see you. But that's why. And so uh, that's an important thing. But 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. Let me read it to you. Paul's writing, and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we have uh, some matzah bread here. It's broken. It's, it's like a cracker. It, it's without any yeast in it. it it's for the purity. Uh, it demonstrates that, and that's why we have that. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to come back to that whole issue of remembrance. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. And that's a whole other message. He says, do this, often, do this as often as you drink it. And then he says it again. We see it in 1 Corinthians 11. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. And uh, it goes on and it says, Whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. And uh, when I, I was growing up, uh, I went to a church and they had what you call close communion. If you weren't a member, they asked you to leave. And uh, I, I really believe that if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're a member. 
and uh, in terms of the fellowship of believers. And so we don't ask people to believe. We want them to say. But I know if, if, if there's a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they've never received him, they maybe if you come to the point of saying, I'm not going to do that, then it doesn't have the same meaning for them uh, that it would for a person who has that relationship with Jesus Christ. If there is a, a situation as there was in the church of Corinth where they weren't getting along, there was division, there was divisiveness, they would come to this love feast. What do you think about when you get, think of a love feast? Do you think that's where everybody's angry at each other or do they kind of love on each other? Yeah. yeah, they love on each other. There's this beautiful relationship that goes on. And, and yet they would come, and because some had a lot of food and others didn't, some got to eat and some didn't, some brought alcohol and they got drunk and others came in late and they were sober and they didn't get along. And it was a hard thing. It's called a love feast. And then they'd turn around and have the Lord's Supper. And they'd reflect on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and what he had done for them and how he'd made a difference for them. And, and it wasn't a positive thing. And so Paul says... For that reason, we examine our minds. We examine our hearts. Where are we in terms of those things? Are, are there issues in our life that need to be dealt with? And uh, before we come, as Christians especially, if, we've, if we have said, wow, the body was given for me, his blood was shed to pay the penalty for my sins, I'm dishonoring God if, if my life's out of fellowship with where it should be with him and with my brothers and sisters. And so... We come and, and we reflect on that. And so I, every time we have a communion service, take time just to pause and reflect and, and see what God has to say. But you do it in remembrance. I, I believe that if we don't stop for the communion service periodically, the Lord's Supper periodically, some churches call it the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, we tend to forget what God did for us. We forget what Jesus Christ did at the cross. There needs to be that reminder. Uh, it's important that we have reminders. In America, we have um, reminders. We have things that remind us of individuals. If you go back to Washington, D.C., now I've never been there, but I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in pictures. There's a Washington Monument. And do you know why they built that obelisk that's... 500 feet in the air. It's huge. It's way up there. Do you know why they build it? As a reminder of our first president, of the general of, the, of, of our armies during that time, the Revolutionary War and what took place. And it should be a reminder of, of those individuals that brought about our freedom and why we have this nation. And it's to be a remembrance. It's to be something we reflect on and reflect back on. You think of the... Uh, Lincoln Memorial, huge. Uh, and it causes us to reflect on our 16th president and what took place during that time. And uh, the Civil War, and, and the nation was divided, and it was split, and slavery was a part of our nation, and, and we had the emancipation of those who were in bondage and as a result of that. And, and we brought back the unity, and we, we kept the nation together. And, and you stop, and those are reminders of our past. They're reminders of what happened in America. In um, Joshua, I'm not going to go back there, but in Joshua chapters 2 and 3, um, 
God had brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You know, that was a tough situation. They were in, in slavery there. And he brought them out and he says, I'm going to give you this wonderful land. And when they sent some people in to spy out the land, they said, oh, we can't take that. Their faith was lacking. They didn't believe God was going to give it to them. They, There's giants in the land. We can't go in there. And so that entire generation died. They didn't go in. The next generation came up. Moses also was removed because of his sin, because of his rebellious attitude at one time. And Joshua became their leader. And he led them up to the Jordan River. The Jordan River was right at flood stage. It was overflowing its banks. I don't know how far... But it was big. I, I read one book that said it was almost a mile across in some places. I mean, it just expanded out there. And God says, I'm going to take you across this river, about two million people. <laughs> yeah, right, Lord. It, it's flowing. It's overflowing the banks. What are we going to do? He says, what I want you to do is get the priests out there, and they're going to lead. They're going to carry the, the Ark of the Covenant. And I want them to go stick their feet in the water, and when they stick their feet in the water, I'm going to stop it. And you're going to be able to walk across on dry land. I wonder what that looked like when it stopped. Because they say it was probably way miles back that the water stood up. And, and uh, basically they were able to walk through on dry land. But if I were one of those priests and God said, what I want you to do is take this big heavy Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to go down there and stand in the water. I would probably say, Lord, why don't you dry it up first? I, I kind of feel better if you dry it up before I step into the mud, you know. And yet they stepped into the water and God stopped the flow. And that entire nation went to the other side, to the land that God had promised them. It was only by faith and the power of God. And you look at that and you go, wow. So they got on the other side and God says, oh, by the way, I want 12 guys, one from each of the tribes of Israel to go back in there. Get the strong guys, okay, because I want big rocks. And each one of you is going to carry a rock and you're going to bring it out and you're going to put it down and it is going to be a pillar or a pile of rocks. I don't know what it looked like when they finished, but it's going to be a reminder of the fact that I brought you through on dry ground. And do you know what he said to do? Every time you go by with your kids, you stop and tell them about how God brought you through. And if he could stop the water like that, man, certainly he can give you this land. And that's exactly what he did. They're still fighting over it today because that's the covenant God made with Israel. Still an issue for people today. But if God could give it to them back then, he can meet the needs today. But there was that pile of rocks and one generation would go by and they said, Dad, what's this pile of rocks for? Well, it shows that God brought the nation across on dry land. You see, he stopped the water. It's, it's a reminder. It's a pillar of remembrance. And, and then the next generation, then the next generation, the next generation, and each time they would go by, they'd look at that pillar of rocks, and they'd go, wow, God brought us here, and he gave us this land. It's a reminder. I thought at times I, I've never done it. I thought I need to get 12 rocks and put them out in front of my house. And just be reminded that God gave it to me. Well, as we come to our passage this morning, Jesus made this statement. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's a reminder. It's symbolic. 
Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. It wasn't his body. It wasn't his blood. But it represented his body and blood. And so as we take it, 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 it's very important that we realize that Jesus Christ gave his life. You know, the Bible says there's no greater gift than for someone to give their life for another person. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. You know, I, I want the kids to think, what, what is the greatest gift you've ever had? Anybody can tell me what is the very best gift you've ever had? Anybody? One of the kids. What was it? Jesus is the greatest gift. Boy, you got that one. And that's exactly what we ought to think every time we take this. Jesus, did God give us Jesus? And Jesus came, didn't he? Do you know what Jesus did? Can you tell me what Jesus did for us? Did he die on the cross? And was he buried? Uh-huh. And did he go back up to heaven? Yeah. Jesus is the greatest gift. Uh, and we need to stop. It's a reminder that, that this represents his body. It was given for us. It was a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. He left heaven. He left eternity's beauty to come down here and live among men. It says he became, became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14. And he gave his life for us. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. You see, Jesus was sinless because his father was not human. Our father, we inherit our sin nature from our dads. Do you know that? He didn't inherit it from Mary. He inherited it. He would have inherited it through Joseph. And because the Holy Spirit and Mary, the child was perfect, without sin, the perfect sacrifice. And this is a reminder, so we come back just to stop and think of the greatest gift that was ever given. And then the cup, he went on and he said there, the cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The New Testament, the New Testament, the, the message that is found here, the new covenant, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's by God's grace we're saved. But there had to be a payment made for our sin. And Jesus made that payment, being the perfect sacrifice. But he did it on our behalf. Somebody quote the verse that the children said this morning. Somebody quote it? Either one of the kids or one of the adults because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are transformed. We are made new. And so when we look at that, we realize and we take this, this communion. It's to be a, a reminder. The Lord's Supper is to be a reminder. Jesus Christ instituted it. And he says, I want, to, I want you to be reminded regularly. And it doesn't say how often. I some churches I know do it once or twice a year. That's, that's not very much. We did it in a church I was in every three months, and we kept forgetting that we were supposed to do it. And so we do it once a month. But it's a reminder for each of us of what Jesus Christ did and the sacrifice he made and, and his giving of his life for us. And then it's so that's based on faith. Our salvation is faith. But you know what the hope is? It says, you're to do this until he comes. 
It looks forward to the future, too. Do you know that? He's coming back. And that's our hope. So we've got faith over here. We've got hope here. And our lives are lived with an attitude of love. Faith, hope, and love. And we go back to those when we look at it. Well, I'm going to ask our, our deacons to come forward. Let's stand, shall we, as they come and take their place at the communion table. I'm going to ask that we just take a moment in silent meditation. If you close your eyes, bow your heads. You know, it, it talked about the fact that we are to come before the Lord and our hearts are to be right before him. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you realize that you don't know Jesus Christ. You've, you've never really committed your life to him. And you want to do that this morning. And I'm just going to say a prayer and you can say it in your heart after me. The Bible doesn't say we have to walk an aisle. It doesn't say that you have to be with anybody else. It says that you're just with the Lord and you say, here I am. I know I've sinned. I know I've failed you. And I want you to come into my life and be my Savior. But he also wants to be your Lord. He doesn't want to just forgive sins and you walk off and do the same old thing tomorrow. He says, I, I, I want to see you changed, transformed, made over. He wants to be your Lord. So if you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just say this prayer. And if you're not sure you're a Christian today, just say it in your heart. God knows your heart. God knows your thoughts. And he knows where you are. So let me just pray this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I've failed in keeping your law, your word. And this morning, Father, I ask you to forgive me. Would you please forgive me of my sins? Would you please come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord from this day forward? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for giving my salvation to me today. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed Keep your eyes closed, nobody looking around. And if you made that prayer this morning yours, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Okay, 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 all right. Father, I pray for these people that have made this decision today because they want to know you. They want to know that you are their Savior and their Lord, and you promise that when they make that prayer and it's real with them, that you become their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. They're my brothers and sisters this morning, and I praise you for that. Thank you. With heads still bowed and eyes closed, there may be someone here, and, and you've struggled in your faith. You've kind of walked away. You haven't been walking with the Lord like you should, and you know that you need to just get it right before you come to the communion table. I'm, I'm going to ask you in the quietness of your own heart just, just to come before the Lord and say, here I am, Father, and there's this issue in my life and I need your forgiveness and I need your help today. I, I want to walk. I want to live as you would have me to live. I want to be the person you'd want me to be. I want to honor you with my life, Lord. And you know that those issues are there and, and you just need to take care of them before Jesus. Let's just take a, a moment of silence. And you can go before the Lord quietly 
in prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Again, God knows your heart. But if there's something you need to confess, maybe it's an attitude, an action, something going on in your life, and you just need his forgiveness. You may be new here. You may be a leader here. You may be in positions of leadership, but you know there's just that issue that needs to be dealt with, and you'd like to do that this morning. Just take a moment and go before the Lord. And he hears, and he knows, and he forgives, and he understands. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you you came before the Lord, and you know there's an issue in your life that's not right, and you ask his forgiveness, and you want me to be praying for you as well. Uh, I don't have any better access to God than you do, but it's, it's certainly... Good when we have others praying for us. If you prayed that prayer and asked God's forgiveness in some area, some aspect, you know that there's an area of your life that needs to be taken care of. Uh, Would you raise your hands so I can be praying for you? Okay, 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 okay. Anybody else? Father, I thank you. I want to thank you this morning for those who have admitted their areas in their lives that they aren't quite right and that they need to get straightened out. And I know that as they've come before you in prayer and ask your forgiveness, you forgave them, Father. That's what you promised. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Father. And so I thank you, your Holy Spirit, working in our lives, working with individuals. And I just praise you for that this morning, Father. You are an awesome God. And we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the reminder of the communion service. And what you did for us, what your son did for us, as he gave his life, as he shed his blood. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.